Hello everyone, Kiana here with the Food Fault Lines podcast and I'm so excited to drop this bonus episode. Just want to give a disclaimer. I'm a little congested because I just got back from flying from the East Coast but I was so excited to drop this episode. So just bear with me if I sound winded during any of this kind of recording. So Chef Amy is taking us on her old school journey, graduating from culinary school and how her growth has really just morphed her into a woman who's a chef in Las Vegas and now embracing new school with entrepreneurship and launching her own hot sauce brand. So let's get into it. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Just to kick us off, if you want to say your first and last name, where you're joining in from, and how you got your first job in the food and beverage space. Uh, My name is Amy Coram Reynolds. I am currently living and working out of Henderson, Nevada, right outside of Las Vegas. Um, My first food job was kind of a weird story. Um, My parents used to go to this family-run restaurant while I was growing up, and I hated to eat there. The first location was like 25 minutes outside of town, so you had to drive all the way out there. I hated the food. By the time I was 14, they had opened up a newer location right down the street. My dad had grown up with these people. I had grown up with these people, and then I kind of had to like (laughs) ask them for a job at 14. So, kind of an interesting story I hate the food here but can I please work here I hear that and where where are you where are you today um today I actually have started my own company I have two different revenue streams with my own company it's a personal chef service as well as a condiment line that I'm launching I work full-time with one family four days a week right now so technically full-time to most chefs but 40 hours a week in the real world is full-time. So I do that full-time, and then I do caterings on the weekends and launch hot sauce. That is so cool. And, you know, throughout your journey, were you self-trained, or um, did you go to culinary school? I went to culinary school. I attended um, the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. I graduated in 2011, so it's been almost 10 years. Wow. That's, a, I mean, that's a great anniversary, and you just have a lot of passion projects, like, in the works, which is absolutely mm. fantastic. And for coming up on 10 years, I'd love to know, how are you connecting with your, you know, industry peers, former colleagues, because, you know, CIA is just so reputable. CIA is extremely reputable. Um, I went through culinary school with like a core group of like four people. Um, we were always together and I still keep in touch with most of them. Um, we chat, we Facebook, we text. Um, if they're in town, they call. If I'm in town, I call, that kind of thing. Um, as far as the alumni network though, I mean, there's so many chefs in Vegas that went to CIA, know somebody that went to CIA. So it's like every time you mention that, it brings uh, oh, my friend did. My friend did this. My friend went there. I know so and so. You need to meet them. Um, so that kind of thing. But yeah, CIA is pretty. It markets itself. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And are you are you still in touch with people from past jobs? Um, I do. I keep in touch with a lot of people, mostly through social media. 
Um, I have a lot of them on Facebook. I typically have a rule during work um, that I don't add people on social media while I'm working with them. So especially for like my employees, um, I have a lot of cooks that like, that's the exciting thing about me moving on to a new job. They're like, oh, we could be Facebook friends now. Um, and it kind of eases their pain for me leaving, I guess. But um, I just, I like to keep this differentiation between like management and um, line level employees. So I just don't like to mix that, especially on social media. I think that's great. Um, <laughs> I've had that, no, I've had that rule before as well from like the management standpoint. It just, it creates boundaries for you in the easiest way. Yeah. And, you know, right now, how many people are on your team? Or are you just a one-woman show right now? Um, I have a brand strategist who is primarily on the hot sauce side of my business. I launched the Personal Chef Services Catering kind of on my own. Um, I had one girl do some design work for me. She's a college, local college student. But then with the hot sauce line, I really wanted like a vision and um, something that could kind of carry me over for a couple of years on this project. So I hired a brand strategist. She's still on my team for contract work. Um, and then about two months ago, I hired an assistant. So she's with me on, it's also contract based, but she's with me every month. Um, whereas the brand strategist is kind of when I need her. But my assistant is phenomenal. She is local. She's also a change of, I guess, change of career type person. She was in the travel industry before COVID, and now she's doing um, virtual assisting. And then we're hoping by the end of summer to bring on culinary help. Um, currently, I make the hot sauces, I bottle the hot sauces, I label the bottles, I shrink wrap the bottles, I fill the orders, I take them to the post office. So it's a lot, um, but I'm hoping that towards the end of summer, revenue will be where it needs to be, where I can feel comfortable bringing somebody on at a decent pay rate. I know that's been a lot of discussion about why people aren't going back to work or maybe they don't want to go back to work. I don't think it's that they don't want to go back to work. I think people really have their priorities in order right now. And they're like, you know, we don't want to work for a company that pays us eight twenty-five an hour when I know that the work I'm doing is worth more than that. So that was kind of one of the mission statements in the hot sauce brand is to not bring on employees before I could pay them what they were worth. And I think that's a really great way to kick off this conversation because pay rate is, of course, one of the challenges that one faces in being a chef. So I'd love to you know, hear from your opinion, what are some of the other challenges chefs face in day to day, whether it's career or looking for opportunities? I think that conversation differentiates between men and women, to be perfectly honest, um, especially in Vegas. I found it very hard to move from like a junior sous chef or a sous chef or a CDC into that executive sous chef, executive chef role. Um, here it's very prevalent that like men are still in those positions and it's very hard to break that boundary. Um, pay wise, I would say that women are still paid slightly lower than the men in the industry, even though the job is the same. Um, line cooks as, a whole 
are typically paid less restaurant servers, obviously, so you can't have this conversation without talking about the fact that a lot of them are still on like this made up server minimum wage. Um, I just think that the restaurant industry is going to have to figure out how to make employees feel like they're doing something and like their job is worthwhile. I think a lot of times, you know, line cooks are like, I'm working two and three jobs because I have to put food on the table at my house. So I think the industry as a whole is going to have to kind of look at how we can fix that. And, you know, the industry is in a stage where it has to evolve because as an industry, we we have to gain both the trust back from our guests and our employees. 100%. I mean, when the pandemic hit, we, the very first day, we weren't even sure if we were shutting down yet in Vegas. We let go half of our management team. So right then and there, our management team is taking on twice the work with, for me, I had been up for a promotion. So I had already been doing, you know, another job on top of my normal job and wasn't being paid for it. And now I have to take on two other people's jobs and also not be paid for that. Then I have, you know, all this extra work. This cook tested positive. Now I have to trace who they were working with. I have to redo the schedule to make sure certain people are working with certain people so that we can try to, you know, not cross contaminate. I know that sounds terrible, but like, not cross people's schedules so that if one person tests positive, the whole restaurant is a positive. Um, once we closed down, we laid staff off and their benefits disappeared. They were technically terminated. Um, and I, I don't know if all companies did this. I think it was a fault in the company that I was working for, but they terminated these employees. So I had a girl that was pregnant who then didn't have any time off to have the baby. So she's having a baby during the pandemic and she's not even sure if she has health insurance because her benefits were terminated. Um, but stuff like that. And then we were never really told when we're bringing cooks back, if we were bringing everybody back. Some of our management never heard whether or not they were coming back. It was just like this awkward, unknown, what do we do type stage. And it's going to take a lot for these companies to rebuild. These are the same companies that you see right now that are like, we need help. We need help. Why is nobody applying? I think you know why no one is applying. <laughs> you know, it's like people see how you respond in a disaster. And if that's how you respond in a disaster, do I want to be a part of that? Um, and that was kind of why I went into business for myself. I saw how companies were treating people. It wasn't just my company. It was companies all over the Vegas Valley that are cutting people off, cutting their salary and still making them show up to work, not providing COVID testing, making them go to these links for what? half of your salary that was already lower than industry standard to begin with it's like a toxic um, relationship it's like it is some some organizations you saw their true color you saw mm -hmm. you saw the hand that they were playing yep yep and that is 100% the reason why i if i can make it even like i'm not making what i used to make in the casinos that's going to take some time 
But if I can just survive without having to go back, to me, that is, that is great. I have done what I needed to do. I can provide for my family, my work-life balance, you know, aside the fact that I'm starting my own companies, that comes with its whole, its whole other headache, but I'm working four days a week. If I want to, a couple of weeks ago, I asked the family, hey, can I skip out for an hour to go watch my daughter get an award at her softball game? Sure, see you later. That would have never happened if I was working a corporate job. It, absolutely. And, you know, in this last year, even with just some of the stories that you were already presenting, like how has managing that stress impacted you? Uh, the first month after I left the restaurant, it was hard. Um, when I had already started taking like one-off um, private events because people were coming to Vegas not realizing that you couldn't have more than four people at a table or you weren't going to be able to get a reservation. So they're coming with these groups, mostly from California. They've been on lockdown. They're ready to get out of the house. So they come with a group of their friends. They rent an Airbnb. And then they're like, what are we going to do for food, right? So I was already doing these one-off parties where people were hiring me and that constant having to look for work was so heavy for me. Like I just did not enjoy it. How did that I, look for you? I was on a hundred different apps. I was on Thumbtack. I was on Chef. I was on a chef for hire. I was posting on my neighborhood apps. I was posting, you know, anywhere and everywhere. And you get these people that are like, oh, I'm very interested. I'm very interested. You spend a week going through these emails only to find out their budget is nowhere near what it would even cost you to put that on, much less pay yourself. Um, so that was really hard for me. Um, just I always wanted to transition into more of um, consistent families rather than the one-off parties. Um, the one-off parties are a little wild. I got into some situations in Airbnbs where I was like, this is not exactly where I want to be. Um, so as a, as a female, I travel alone, you know, so I need to be cautious of what I'm doing and where I'm taking parties as well. So I wanted to transition into the more consistent, maybe one or two families. Um, for a while, I was doing two families. I had one family three days a week and another family two days a week. Plus, I was doing my own business on the side. That was hard. Um, so when the one family was taking a break, they were moving to another area of town. I was like, this is my opportunity. Like, we're just going to separate because that drive is now going to increase my pricing. I don't think they were interested in increasing pricing. So let's just, you know, let me help you find somebody else and I'm going to stay more locally where I'm at. Um, and that ended up working out great because the family that I was with three days a week wanted to pick up one extra day. So now I'm with them four days a week and that's kind of, kind of my max right now. You know, for someone who used so many different platforms to put yourself out there and really just like show your, show your art and show your passion. You know, if you could build a platform to find work, what would that look like after having so much exposure to them? 
The biggest thing that I didn't like is having to pay for services, even though I wasn't getting some of the parties, um, especially on Thumbtack. Thumbtack is the world's worst about that. Um, you pay based on communication. So somebody could reach out to you and say, I want a party for $50 a person. Can you do that? Well, yes, depending on what you're asking for. But then it comes back like, well, I want a lobster tower and I want, you know, a chocolate fondue fountain. That's not in a $50 per person budget. So now I've already paid, you know, five, 10, 15, $20 just for them to tell me that the budget doesn't work. And so, I'm familiar that you have to pay for your leads. Yes. Yes. You pay based on that. So it's like, I had to turn my, my financials down because like the first month I was on the website, it robbed me. I was like a couple of hundred dollars in before I even knew how the thing worked. And I was like, what do I do? Like, how do I make this stop? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, not the best. Uh, Meet a Chef is a little bit better. It's a quarterly subscription and it's $25 every quarter. So that's not that bad. I didn't have a whole lot of, I had a lot of conversations on there. I don't think I picked up an actual lot of parties from that website. So it's like some tech, I picked up a lot of parties, but I also paid a lot in unpaid um, leads. And then I was on a new app. It's called My Table. I got a couple of leads on there, but the invoicing system through the app is a disaster. Um, I know they were working on kind of re-innovating that during COVID, but once I found clients, I'm pretty much off all of the websites now. And, you know, prior to having this kind of now like black book of your clients, have any of your past colleagues or teammates helped you in landing a job? Um, not so much in landing a job, but we do kind of bounce ideas off of people. Um, I know one of my friends is in the Caribbean. I used to live in the Caribbean. So a lot of times he'll ask me, like, if this supplier doesn't have this, like, who did you call? Like, I'm, you know, I'm hitting walls here. Help me out. And so I'll be like, okay, well, here's the guy, but, you know, maybe he only speaks this language and you're not, you don't speak that. So let me know if you need me to get in touch with him, that kind of thing. Um, I have another friend that's in Texas. Um, I send him samples of my hot sauce and I get like genuine feedback from him, you know, and he'll tell me like, I hated it at first and that's completely fine. You know, I want that genuine feedback and I know that there are certain people from, you know, at least my culinary school days that will give me genuine raw feedback and they won't be like, well, you know, it tastes good. Yeah. You know, when... I think what's great with that feedback is that it comes from a verified place. It comes from a right. verified source. And I think the credibility is also half of the battle. You can send mm-hmm. out hot sauce samples to 100 people, and they're just in it because, like, oh, great, I'm going to get hot sauce. But to truly bring in their credibility, their expertise, and offer that feedback, I think that's what makes it worthwhile at the same time. Yep. Yep. I know that I'm getting genuine feedback and I know that they're coming from a good place. Um, You know, a lot of times I'll offer to ship it to them for free and they're like, no, 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 you're a startup. Like, let me pay for it. So genuine connections. Um, 
at least at that core group of guys. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that. And I absolutely agree. Um, and just quick segue before we jump back into things. Where in the Caribbean were you? Um, I was in Vieques, Puerto Rico for about four and a half years. It's an island off the east coast of Puerto Rico. So pretty primitive. There's not a lot of, I think there's one subway now, but there's no commercial food. There's no commercial grocery stores, no commercial gas. It's all family owned mom and pop places. So it's very primitive. Um, and it's hard to operate a business there, but if you can do it there, you can really do it anywhere. Yeah, so. I'm from the Dominican Republic, so I can fully resonate. I'm like, there are the <laughs> supermarkets. It's just like small little like stands. You get yep. like what the farmers bring in or what was at the mm-hmm. ranch. I mm-hmm. fully resonate and I know what you mean. Um, very family and locally owned as well. <laughs> and you know, when you were pitching yourself to these like potential bookings, potential employers, you know, looking back now, if there was an ideal way to introduce yourself with either like a technology component, how would that look for you to save time? Because um, I typically will give out my Instagram during COVID. I got to take, you know, a lot of pictures of what I was cooking. It wasn't always like fancy because obviously I didn't have a job and I still have, you know, a family to feed. But um, a lot of it was like good home cooked meals. And I'm like, you know, I'm not trying to bring, you know, a five star dining experience if that's not what you're looking for. Um, So if you really just want like spaghetti and meatballs and you want it to look nice, like go look at my Instagram page. You know, I have home cooked meals. I have some fancier stuff. This way you get kind of a genre for what you're looking for, what it is that you want, what kind of price point you're looking at. Um, so Instagram was really kind of how I, I guess you give them like a lookbook. Um, here's what I can do. If you don't see something that you like, let me know and I'll tell you if I can do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, social media is always going to be part of this conversation now and just the art of social selling. So, you know, what technology are you cur- are you currently using to expand your talent, your network? You know, I'd love to hear a little more about that. Oh, I have currently five social media pages and between Facebook and Instagram. It's exhausting. Um, I have a Twitter. I don't really use that for food. Um, what else? I have a lot of these, like, my branding strategist uses, like, one, like, messaging profile. My assistant uses another one. So there's, like, all these different, like, messaging profiles that I'm on to satisfy whoever it is that I'm working with. Um, we're looking into like email marketing, like just a newsletter quarterly or something like that. So that's another app that I have on my phone. I'm attempting to do like Facebook ads. That's another whole separate thing. Like it's just, I'm constantly on my phone every week when I get that little update that's like, you were on your phone for nine hours this week. And I'm like, like I used to be like a solid five hour a week person now, (laughs) you know, now I'm a nine hour a week person. I don't get it, you know, or nine hours a day person. I'm constantly on my phone. I'm hooked to a charger 24 seven. 
I have like a portable charger. It goes with me everywhere. Half the time it's dead. Like my computer and my computer now, because I'm also consulting on another project right now, my computer, my phone, my charger, my headphones. It's like, it's like my new purse. <laughs> and, you know, for someone who has so many different platforms for communication, for showing who Amy is, showing Amy's magic, showing Amy's vision. How would you feel if you could have, you know, a video introduction of yourself that just had your vision and mission and people could just see that? It would make it much easier. Um, A lot of the introduction process to clients is a little bit overwhelming to me. I I don't know if I would say overwhelming, but it's draining. Um, You know, my passion is the food, and it's hard to kind of convey that to people, especially through email. You know, how do you show them that you go to Great Links to get the best produce, that you make your own jams, that you put on a charcuterie board? How do you how do you convey that, you know, either through word or a picture? You can't. (laughs) You can't. (laughs) You can't at all. And it's just also the simplicity of in the food and beverage space, you eat with your eyes. The person who is making your food, when you're able to have that connection with them and truly see someone in action, to your point, an example of making jam, like that makes an experience for people. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was just, it, it, it was it was such a perfect example because how do you write on a resume, you know, makes homemade jam, like, great. It doesn't sound that great, but the process of making it, um, for me personally, I support a local business. This family um, started their business a long time ago, but especially in Nevada, there are terrible fruits and vegetables. Like, we're in a desert. The produce here is terrible. The fish here is terrible. Like, it is what it is. But this family has figured out that they can go to Utah, they can go to the Santa Monica Farmer's Market one time a week, take, they take a refrigerated truck, and they bring back thousands of pounds of produce, and then they resell it here. So with the farms that they work with in Utah, um, the guy's actually like picking the fruit while you're there. So there's no pesticides on it. It literally did not sit, you know, in a refrigerated container for six months to finish ripening or whatever jargon that, you know, the food space tells you that is necessary. You're eating these fruits and vegetables as if you just picked it yourself. They post like these um, Facebook lives where the husband will actually be at the farm and him and usually one of their kids is with them. They're actually picking the produce. It just came off the vine and you're going to eat it tomorrow. So um, that that's the type of fruit that I get for, you know, my clients. And they're like, I don't understand why your price is so high. Well, <laughs> let me tell you why. And you have to tell a story. And yeah. video allows you to do that. And I think the differentiator between um, social media is that it's like a potato chip. It's this instant gratification. However, when you're truly explaining a story and the experience, that's a meal. And mm-hmm. it needs to be in one house place. It's not just an IG Live or a TikTok or an Instagram. 
I agree. The social media is probably the most exhausting part of what I do. Um, just trying to stay current, even though when I have an assistant, you know, she still needs the content. You know, she can't post her own content. She can't do that for me. So I still have to make time out of my weekend um, to make content for her. And I usually try to do two or three, four things at a time. That way, you know, I can get it done and be over with and send that to her. And she has, you know, a week's worth of content. So it's the social media thing is the most exhausting part of probably running your own business. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. And I think you brought, you brought it to a great theme that it's just keeping up. It's keeping up to date. So I'd love to know how are you using technology to stay in touch with your peers? Um, social media for sure. Um, a lot of them, well, the one that lives in the Caribbean, we usually end up using like Facebook Messenger just because his phone doesn't get that great of service. So, I mean, technology again. Yeah, the theme, the theme. And, you know, you brought up a great point that it's just, it's a different game for women. It's a different game for women in this industry. So, what are some things that we can do from an individual standpoint and a collective to help female chefs flourish in this industry and stay? I think there is a huge gap in the women that start to leave the industry. Um, it's extremely hard for women to get the grace that they need in order to raise a family and have the career that they want. Um, I've seen it so many times over you know, the last year. 10 years even, you know, um, a male in management will be like, oh yeah, I need to leave early today to go catch my kids, little league. And everybody claps for him. Yay, you're a good dad. Wow, you're leaving your work to go take care of your kid. But when a woman does the same thing, she's wrong. Your work isn't as important. You're leaving to go watch a t-ball game. There will be other t-ball games. So for me, as you know, a wife and a mom, I had to make that decision, you know, is today worth that argument, right? Today, it's just a t-ball game, but next week, it might be a solo and a band concert or an award ceremony. Those are the ones that I would choose to fight for, because as a woman, you are made to choose what is important here. Is your job important? Because if you leave all the time, your job is obviously not important. But when you don't show up for your kids, and what then? Not, it's like men are expected not to show up. Women are expected to show up. But women are also expected to have food on the table when they come home. It's like we're stuck in this era that we can't quite equalize the same profession. And you have to have like the daily debate of, do I want to die on this hill? 100%. There were so many times where it was like, I would be choosing whether or not this was, you know, a glass ball. Is this a ball that I can drop? Is this a plastic ball? Will it be okay if I drop this ball? Like, where does this fit in that spectrum of, Am I going to upset my kids? 
am I going to upset work? Am I going to upset my husband? Am I going to upset work? Like, where does that, where's that line today? And every day it's different, right? I typically would try to save emergencies for the reason that I would leave work early or something, you know, something of that nature. But then you see your male counterparts who are like, my kid slammed his finger in the door. I got to go home. That wouldn't have been an emergency for me. But I also would have been talked about had I left work that day for my kid slamming his finger in the door. And, you know, for someone who has stepped into entrepreneurship as a you know female founder of her own business and bringing innovation in a time that in a time that we need it need it because you're redefining what a career in the food and beverage space is what has been you know one of the biggest lessons that you've learned in this in these last 12 months um I've honestly learned that there's a lot of women out there in my same shoes, even, you know, not in the food space, but in corporate altogether. So I think that, you know, linking up with those people to try to figure out not only how we can change the food industry, but how we can do this for our daughters. Um, You know, what changes can we make now that will be impactful in 10, 15 years? I think there's going to be a huge culture shift with office work. This whole work from home thing is going to be a thing forever. And if companies don't get on board with that, they're going to lose a lot of employees. Um, With women in the industry, it's important to me that they know that there's more out there, right? You don't have to stay with this company. Yes. Like, do what you need to do to provide for your family, but take an hour or two a day and figure out what your actual goals and dreams are. Figure out where you want to be. Figure out what your dream company looks for. And if it doesn't exist, create it. And that was kind of, you know, when I started with my brand strategist, she's like, what do you want people to see when they see your company? I'm like, I want young culinarians to think that this is a safe place to work. They're not going to come to work and be verbally assaulted. They're not going to come to work and be sexually assaulted. They're not going to come to work and feel like they're less. I want this to be, when the time is right, a place where, you know, women can come to work and know that if their kid is sick, they can come to me and be like, I really need to take care of this. This is something I need to do. And it be okay. You know, I'll have meetings with my assistant. We plan these out weeks in advance. They're on the calendar at a specific time. We figured out what works for us. But there are times when she'll email me or text me, you know, hours before and be like, I'm really not feeling well. I'm, I can't do this today. Can we reschedule? There's no need to reschedule. Like, we'll talk about it next week. I'll email you, you know, later when you're feeling better. And I'll give her, you know, five, six hours. I won't even email her immediately because it's not that important. We're not, we're not saving lives here. Like we're not doing brain surgery. We're running a business. I say that all the time. You're not conducting brain surgery. Like Like, it's not life or death. It's really not. Oh, I, I, I love that message because it's humanizing this industry and that's what needs to happen. Yes. Yeah, if you're not feeling well, by all means, take a nap, 
take a few days off, like whatever it is you need when you're ready, come back and let's get this project back on track. Like it's not, you don't need to break people down in order to build them up. It's just not necessary. And I think one of the objectives that we have is humanize an industry that is a people business and the technology, the technology that's being brought into this space is eliminating people, bringing less people into restaurants, building just more convenience, more contactless payments and deliveries. How can we humanize an industry that is going in the exact opposite direction? It's a great question. Like yeah. that's the challenge, and like that's the that is the challenge. Generate, that's this next generation challenge with the food and beverage space. I know with my current schedule, we have been out to eat probably in the last six months, maybe one or two times. Everything else has been delivery or Postmates, Uber Eats, which I hate. Um, But that's just the reality of kind of this season of our life right now. You know, with me being so busy, my husband is left to fend for dinner. (laughs) And it normally comes in a takeout box. Um, It's hard for me to even get off sometimes in order for delivery to work. Um, Much less it would be, you know, if I was getting off at 9, 10 o'clock at night, we would be that customer that comes in, you know, at the end of the night. And it's like nobody wants to be that person. So no respectable person wants to be that person. Let me rephrase that. A lot of people don't mind being that person. Um, But nobody in the industry wants to be that person, you know, especially with restaurants being struggling to keep the doors open. Like if they haven't had customers in an hour or two, there's really no reason for people to come in at the last hour and hold up production. So. Absolutely. And Amy, that is a beautiful way to wrap up our (laughs) chat Thank you for just bringing in, again, just the emphasis theme of technology and how, you know, a lot of this battle, it's, you don't really have a choice. Like, you, ha- you have to utilize it. You have to utilize the technology. And for bringing in your story and experience as a woman in this industry, because we have to continue amplifying that, especially in creating more opportunities for women that match your experience. Well, there you have it. It is a new year, so we have many more new moments that we're going to be sharing on our second season of the Food Bot Lines podcast, which we're going to be dropping on Tuesday, January 25th. And Chef Amy is just one of the many voices that you're going to be hearing. We have a vegan chef, a sustainability chef, a cocktail recipe curator who has published a book, a former culinary teacher who's now online. And that's just the tip of the iceberg to the powerful voices we're going to have joining us. So thank you again for tuning in to hear Chef Amy's story and these seven other powerful conversations. And just make sure to drop a review in our ratings. That way we don't get lost in the land of